So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that most successful agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's competitive real estate environment? That's the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now for the review of the day. Okay, I got a five-star review from JPA Realtor. JPA Realtor says, great show. One of my faves, one of my faves. Love the show, especially love the segment of the real estate updates. Will you ever come back? Boom, they are back. They are back, they are back. Let me go on with the review. I look forward to the state of the market each Wednesday to know what is going on in the world of real estate. Thank you. Five stars, JPA Realtor. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. Rockstar Nation, thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to stay to the end where our guests will be offering a free gift. As you know, all of our guests offer a free gift and all of these gifts can be found on the Agent Success Toolbox. You could find that by going to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply texting the word toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. I am going to put today's free gift in today's show notes. But if you want all of them, including gifts from most of our guests that have come on the show, just go to the Agent Success Toolbox. All right, Rockstar Nation, we've got an awesome interview for you. Alan Schlafrock from Long Island, New York. Alan is a real estate investor, buy and hold strategy, and he wrote an awesome book called How Not to Make Money in Real Estate. Alan's been at it since about 2010. He's got about 50 units now, goes about 100 at that price point. It's like a $20 million portfolio, so super impressive. And today, what we're gonna talk about is Alan wants to educate people, and he loves doing this, on how to get started, mistakes that he's made, so you might not have to make those, and a ton of other stuff. So Alan, Welcome to Real Estate Rockstars, man. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Our pleasure. So let's just let's get right into it. A lot of times we interview people that own, you know, real estate teams in the traditional, you know, retail world. This is really cool because a lot of the the people, the agents that listen to this podcast, they're also investors or they're looking to get into investment. I mean, you're you're in the game already. You might as well become an investor if you're a real estate agent, right? That's right. So let's kind of start off with your, your, your story, your background. So commodities trader, right? I was a commodities trader on the floor of the New York Mercantile Exchange. I was one of those guys uh, in the trading pits making those gestures and screaming and stuff like that. You know, not all the gestures were necessarily polite, but it was a rough and tumble place. But uh, after a few years, the market started going electronic, as it has with many exchanges, many financial products got automated. Uh, it was hard to make a living. I had to do something else. Um, I had some guys that I knew that were investing in real estate. I started investing alongside them. Eventually, 
I went out on my own and I've been in love with it and I've been doing this ever since, since about 2010. Love that, man. So what's the number one thing you love about real estate investment besides the obvious, which is cash flow and equity and you know wealth? What else do you love about it? I think for a guy like me coming from my background, like as an independent commodities trader, it's hard for me to have like a real nine to five. And I understand the risk where like, I don't get benefits. I got to pay for my own health insurance and all that stuff like that. But to be tied down to a desk all day for me would probably be very difficult. Sure. So I've got days where I'm in the field, checking on properties, checking on construction projects, uh, getting permits, you know, this and that. And then I've got my office days, but I have the flexibility. My day doesn't look the same every day. And I think that's something that I like about being a full-time investor. Yeah, that's awesome. So commodities market starts to go down, it's digitalized. And then what happened? So I was actually looking for a new job on Wall Street, but this is 2008, 2009. Nobody was hiring. <laughs> right. Everybody was shedding headcount. So I was looking for something else to do. And I, I was desperate. I took a job as not there's anything wrong with this, but like as a life insurance salesman, I didn't wind up completing the training because it wasn't for me. Corporate's just not for me. So, um, and I had some, some guys I knew that were investing in real estate uh, in Northern New Jersey, some of the rougher areas. And I invested some money with them, had some success, some not success. But at the end of the day, I felt it was something that I could really expand on without having to rely on other people to guide me and to, and to do the deals for me and trusting them. Uh, which is a hard thing to do. And I was able to do it myself. And I jumped in, you know, did that first property, tons of mistakes, tons of headaches. Uh, right. but, but again, you learn from those mistakes and that's how you succeed as an investor. So that's how I kind of got started. Does everybody have to be super smart Wall Street trader to be an investor? No, absolutely not. Uh, it's most real estate is basic uh, cashier math. Right. So percentages, there's calculators online. It's really not that difficult. You don't need an MBA or anything, but you do need to be very well organized and you need to be on top of uh, your insurance, your, your legal liabilities, and every kind of liability that comes with the house, all your utility bills and things like that. So it doesn't take a, a Wall Street genius at all to get started and invest. It's really some back of the envelope cashier math for the most part. Right. Absolutely. So then how many properties did you buy before you started to think about writing a book? Uh, this was a couple of years ago. So actually, I already owned most of my portfolio and I've always been a good writer. It's always something that I've enjoyed in school. I didn't major in English because it's not great, but uh, I've, I've always really enjoyed my English classes. Uh, I used to help people out with their English papers. Maybe they used to pay me, maybe they didn't, whatever. So um, I decided to write a book because I wanted to educate people. And I see a lot of people are getting interested. I'm on bigger pockets all day. Uh, and I wanted to help be part of, you know, helping people achieve their dreams in real estate by showing them kind of what not to do, kind of the mistakes that I made. And then they don't maybe have to make them. Sure. So let's talk about the book real quick. It's called How Not to Make Money in Real Estate. Correct. Why name it that? Because it's catchy. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to set my book apart from what else is on the market, which kind of, I think, uh, glorifies what goes on and like all those HGTV shows and all the, how easy it is. And then they'll throw in like one thing that goes wrong, but it's not really a big deal just so that it seems more realistic. Yeah. But as somebody who's like been in the field for a while, I know that tons of things come up and you have to deal with them. And uh, they don't really educate you on how to deal with these things. They just say like, oh, this house is is, is uh, $50,000. You put in 10, it'll be worth a hundred and you make money, but it's not that simple. So no. I wanted to show people some of the things that go wrong and some of the things you have to look out for while at the same time, um, encouraging them to chase after their dreams. It's not like a Debbie Downer kind of book. Right. Exactly. But, yeah. So people need to know kind of what's really going on. And I wanted to write a book to do that. I love that. So take me through the book. What is it, you know, you, we, you obviously love to educate people on on the potential pitfalls and how to work through them. But let's talk to the people right now that are 
maybe they've got no properties and they're looking to invest or they've got, you know, one or two properties and they're looking to grow the portfolio and scale up. So let's kind of start at the beginning and, and, and figure out like, what do you, what do you teach somebody? What do you, what do you tell somebody who wants to get started? Well, the first thing I would tell them is nothing that you can read in a book or read up online is really going to prepare you for the field. Right. I always really like to do a transaction. But that being said, don't be scared to make that first transaction. Do something you're comfortable with. If it has to be conservative the first time around, or you have to borrow money from family and friends at better interest rates just to get and cut them in on equity, you know, maybe you do that. But um, the transition from zero to one property is far bigger than two to three, three to four, four to five and up. I agree. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, because you don't know what you're doing. And um, a, lot of the li- a lot of the lingo and the things that come up that you didn't think about will come up the first time, but then you're used to them. Like, oh, I didn't know I had to set up that utility bill. I didn't know I had to get uh, liability insurance as a- and um, you know, builder's risk insurance on my projects. Like, then you'll know. Then you'll know, right? When, you're, <laughs> when you go to do construction and your contractor calls and says, hey, the lights and, and water are off here. What's going on? And you go, oh, yep, lesson learned. <laughs> exactly. And the, and the first couple of properties you do, you're going to have things like that come up. So you might as well, but you got to do them or else you're not going to learn and you're never going to you know, achieve your dreams of being in this business. Right. So somebody wants to get rolling right now. Yeah, you're right. It is the hardest thing. Now, one thing that I hear from people is I did one a couple years ago or, you know, 10 years ago and I was unable to refi out and it stuck. I got stuck with it and blah, blah, blah. The market turned. So what do you say to somebody either, you know, who, who's had a past experience or even now who, you know, made a, it happens to, it happens to all of us sometimes. I mean, you make a purchase and then something happens in the market, a big uh, a factory or a store goes out of business some things affect it. And all of a sudden that refi gets affected. I know for a fact that one of people's, people's biggest or one of the biggest fears that people have is if I borrow money from family or I borrow money from a friend to, for down payment and closing costs. What if I can't get it back to them? But what do you say to that? I mean, the truth is doing that is less than ideal. Ideally, you'd have your own capital. But because um, doing business with friends and family, is, it, it can get ugly. I've done it before. Sometimes it goes well, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't. And at that point, um, you know, Thanksgiving gets a little bit awkward, for example. <laughs> right. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, but if you have to do it, and as long as the investor who's your family or friend understands the risk and they're comfortable potentially losing that money, they should have no complaints. They went in with their eyes open. As long as you're transparent with them, right. this is what I'm doing. This is the risks. And the worst happens, I told you. you I told know? you. Right. <laughs> right. Easier said than done, for sure. Yeah. Right. But, you know, you have to be transparent with people. And, um, again, it, it has to only be capital that these people are comfortable risking and they have to know you and trust right. you. And if it's going to ruin your relationship with your father or something like that, <laughs> Don't they, do they, maybe look at other sources, you know? tribeofmillionaires.com guys write that down rockstar nation got a free special offer for you now i've just written a book and it's just been published co-authored it with david osborne who's been on this show multiple times if you don't know david he is one of the top execs at keller williams real estate was personally mentored for the last two decades by gary keller himself and he's in all kinds of businesses his bio and explanation and, and everything is in this book But anyways, David and I got together. We decided to write a book. We called it Tribe of Millionaires. And I guarantee you, it's going to change your life. To find out more, just go to tribeofmillionaires.com. We're going to give it to you absolutely free. Only thing we ask in return is, of course, number one, you pay the shipping. Not a big deal. But number two, that you go on Amazon and write us a review. We're really looking 
to get an incredible amount of reviews. And because of that, we're giving this book away for free. Go to tribeofmillionaires.com today. So in the event that you get, so I want to, I want to, I want to tackle the fears right now, because what you and I were talking about earlier before we started the, the recording was getting into action, taking that first step. You know, I, I call it the fear bubble, just stepping into the unknown and just, you know, reading as much as you can, listening to all the podcasts as much as possible, going to the meetups. But at the end of the day, there's still the aspect of the unknown for you getting into real estate at the time you're getting into it. So what do you say to somebody who, you know, to get their, get, get, get someone's money stuck. And I, and I, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I had this happen uh, to a friend of mine last week and they called me and I said, make him your partner. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, get him, get a deed of trust or something and get him cut in, you know, return as yeah. much as you can and get them cut in. And they are now your partner on it. So when you go back to them, just go, don't say, Hey, I can't, I can't give you your money back. You say, Hey, I, uh, this is what happened. And now you're my partner. I'm going to pay you monthly. You know what? If you did that from the jump, if you cut them in on equity and made them a partner in the deal, again, they'd have less to complain. Even if you had to offload some responsibilities that they feel like they're more part of the deal, right. like, like here's the utility bill pay. And, just, and, and maybe build a partnership where you do 90% of the work and you're cutting them in on equity. And again, if, if things go bad, I feel like uh, they'll have less to complain to you about. Yeah. And listen, it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a 30-year thing. Their money's not stuck forever. You return as much as you can. And then, you know, you cut them in and listen, now they're a 50% owner. So somebody has got 20 grand in the house it's worth 200 and they're a 50% owner. That's a great investment. Yeah. You know, great investment. And you're giving up equity on the front, which is not something people want to do. But when you're first getting started, you kind of have to cut deals that maybe in the future you wouldn't want to do once you're yeah. more experienced. So yeah, like something. if you had your own cash. Yeah. Yeah. And once you have your own cash, you'll stop doing that. Or once you can get really great bank financing, you'll stop doing that. Right. So what do you say to somebody who says, all right, I, well, I don't want to go to my parents. I don't want to go to a friend. Where can they find cash for that down payment and closing cost money if they don't have their own, but they, you know, they, 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 they've got a beat on the market and they understand what's going on. They've got some houses that they'd like to put offers in on. I see people and they talk about, you know, taking out uh, high interest loans or, or credit cards and things like that. People do it. Personally, I'm not a fan. I don't think you, if you don't have capital to risk in this business, wait till you do. Listen, people do it, the credit card thing, and they max out their credit cards, and a lot of gurus you know, encourage that. Personally, I'm not a fan, because I wouldn't want to see somebody go bankrupt because their first deal, which they're going to make mistakes on, went badly. Yeah, I agree with that. So yeah. what do you do? Just go to the hard money lenders and see what you can do? You can go to the hard money lenders, see what they could do, uh, or alternatively, you, know, you go to these meetups, you find some experienced investors, and again, cut them in an equity deal. And you yeah. know, I found this deal, let's work together, and, and we'll split the profits or we're going to split them. But again, I don't, I don't think people should go into personal debt necessarily. I think a lot of gurus encourage that. And I think it might be a little silly. Yeah, no, I, sure. I, I would, uh, I would agree with that. You know, the, the, the thing that I'm trying to uh, encourage people on, and we, we do this at our meetups here in Baltimore is just get into action, just get into conversation. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask the question. The worst someone's going to say is no, they were you. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago, 50 years ago, they were you. And they, they, they had to ask the question and you never know. Yeah. I, I've asked a lot of people for money. I would say 80% of them are like, yeah, man, let's uh, show me the deal. I'm, I'm in. And it's actually pretty surprising how many people, 
you know, when you think about the equities market today, to, to talk about a, a 10 or 12% return is it's high risk. Whereas yeah. with real estate, your risk is severely mitigated, right? You would think so, yeah. I mean, you think so, yeah. Barring, yeah. Another, barring another crash, I mean, you've got a solid asset. If you have a solid asset and you've got equity and you've got a decent amount of equity in there, your risk is very minimal. Sure. I, heard, I heard a big guy speaking a couple of weeks ago. He said, I've never seen a deal go bad at 65 LTV or better, which again, most people can't do, but right. okay, 70, 75, unless we have another 2007, 2008, you're not going to lose the property. You'll suck on it for a few years. It happens. Right. Yeah. That's a great point is, is the, in, the inevitable of what's worst case scenario in your mind is, oh my God, this thing's going to go down. We go bankrupt and lose the house. That's probably not going to happen if you can hold on. So you've got to be investing in properties that you can say, okay, if these bad scenarios happen, I don't have to give the keys back to the bank. If you can't do that, again, either you need more capital or, or maybe find something else to do. Right. Now, as far as sources of property, we kind of know the, the traditional ones, agent, you know, scouring the MLS, off-market wholesale, things like that. Where else do you get property from besides those? So in addition to all those things, there's also auction websites. Yep. And those can be hit or miss. And they're definitely risky for first-time investors because there's very rarely interior access. And I bought from them. And, some, and every time I buy from them, it's way worse than I expected. It doesn't mean I didn't make money. But you know, without that interior access for your first deal, it's really hard to know what you're going to want to do for your first few deals, to be honest. That's really kind of expert level stuff. I'd call these websites like auction.com and HubZoo. Yep. Alternatively, again, that also gets easier once you've done a deal or two and you can point to the brokers and say, uh, hey, I own that house over there and I'm interested in this house over here. Then they know you're for real. Right, yeah. And then they know that you're a closer. So I would say the last, the last two deals that I did over the past few months were from brokers who called me after another investor couldn't close because they know I close because when I met them, I said, I own that one over there. I own that one over there. And I want to buy this one over here, but he got a higher offer, not a cash offer. Falls Fair through, enough. he calls me and I have a cash offer. So I was able to get those two deals at better prices than they initially had them listed for because another investor couldn't close. So if you build that reputation with brokers and other investors as a guy who can close, then you'll find uh, deals much easier, I think. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great point. So kind of building that reputation, the, the resume almost, and then speaking to brokers. I know I'm doing that when it comes to bigger multifamily, you know, hundred unit plus, they want to know you can close and that they're not going to screw around with you. Or you're not going to screw around. And you know what you're doing. Same with single family investing too, right? Absolutely. You, you, if, if a broker knows you can close, they're going to come to you. It's like, because people don't understand, like the broker, like on a $50,000 house, or even $100,000, he's not making a lot of money. No. So for the work, he better get the deal closed. Otherwise, he's not going to talk to you ever again. Right, right. I don't think it pays a lot of people. They do like scatter shot. They'll put 50 low balls offer out there. Like that's a great way to ruin your reputation. It's a horrible way to buy a house. Right. In this I market. completely agree. Talk about that for a second. Because I know a lot of people, uh, especially in our market here, that do what, what they would call carpet bombing. And they, they'll, send out, they'll send out 20 offers a week. To, and, and really, as the market numbers, I don't know how it is in, in, in New Jersey or in Long Island, but the conversion ratios are severely different than they were three to five years ago. That's right. You send out 100 offers a week and you get 20 under contract, 30 under contract. Now you send out 100 offers a week, you might get one or two. And you piss off 50 brokers. Right, right, exactly. And, uh, and yeah, we're not all auction properties either. So you, yeah, you're, people are getting to know you. And yeah. so what we have to do is like a team, and I'm sure you guys have to protect this too, is we have to let people know, you know, we're, we're, 
give it your best shot. Don't lowball this thing. Like whatever you're willing to pay for it, like this is not the market, so to speak, that you're going to get the grand slam deals. If you're looking to continue to buy and scale, you know, it's that dollar cost average, right? You're just, you're going to get some a little higher, but if you're still at 65, you're at 65 regardless. Right. Absolutely. That's the, that's the only way to approach it in the year 2019. Right. Uh, and, and really for last year too, I think the whole carpet bombing strategy was probably a huge winner, especially at the auctions in, uh, in 2016 and, and older than that. Before, yeah. But if you do that now, again, people aren't going to want to talk to you. You ruin your reputation with the brokers. And if you get one house, that's all you're going to get. Right. Once, you, once you've gone ahead and got this reputation as being a guy who lowballs. Yeah. Do the math. It's worth every single dollar. This is a quote from Mr. Bill Reek, who took my certified listing agent program. He says, looking to take your listing presentation to the next level. Listen, I've closed 100% of the appointments since I took Pat Hyben's certified listing agent. Five appointments, five new clients in 60 days. Do the math. It's worth every single dollar. Now you can get the certified listing agent course. You can get the certified buyer agent course, which tells you how to close every single buyer that calls in if you want them. You get the certified team agent course, which teaches you how to build a dynamite team like Jeff Cohn, who teaches the course. It's like a 10-hour course from Omaha, Nebraska, Berkshire Hathaway's top agent, and seven other courses. Total of 11 courses, all five-star rated, only 97 bucks a month. If you paid for them individually on the website, they would cost over $10,000. And we are running a special now at futureofrealestatetraining.com where you can get them for $97 a month. That's all you can eat, $97 a month, all these courses. That's futureofrealestatetraining.com, futureofrealestatetraining.com. Check it out. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Pat Hyben. And before we jump back into today's content, I want to tell you about an extraordinary offer from an extraordinary company. I'm talking about my Outdesk. If you haven't heard of my Outdesk, basically they are a virtual assistant company, a VA company that specializes in virtual assistants for real estate agents. Yeah, I'm talking about transaction coordinators, marketing assistants i'm talking about isas inside sales agents at prospect thousands and thousands of seller leads and buyer lead follow-ups i mean these guys are trained in this stuff specifically you're not using a company that doesn't know or understand real estate sales four out of five of the top teams in the u.s use my outdesk for their virtual assistants and because I know the owner, Daniel Ramsey, I've known him for over a decade, and I know how awesome and incredible this company is and how it saves agents thousands and thousands of dollars every single week and makes them thousands and thousands of more every single week, we're going to give you a $400 coupon off of your first month of a virtual assistant and give you access and give you a free book entitled scaling your business with virtual professionals so you can like read it and look into it before you decide anything it's called scaling your business with virtual professionals and you can get it real easy all you got to do is text the word hyben h-i-b-a-n to 31996 that's h-i-b-a-n to 31996 
and download your free book, Scaling Your Business with Virtual Professionals. And don't forget to mention also that you get a $400 discount, which will give you a coupon for that when you download the book. Thank you, guys, and I hope you enjoy and make a ton of money using my Outdesk. So let's talk about lowballing for a second. In your in your opinion, your definition, what's a lowball offer? Because I think every buyer's looking to get a deal and every seller's looking to get the most they can. It's just the way it goes since prehistoric times. So what's a low what's a good offer that may be below market value that's still attractive versus something that is just like nobody's gonna pay attention to that? It's stupid. What in your opinion? I think that's up to you. If you're on the market and you know value and you know how much it costs to repair something, then figure out that price and maybe a couple thousand, you know, uh, maybe 10%. I, I don't know. Okay. Because the truth is it really depends on the market because yeah. if you're yeah. where it goes above list, forget about paying below list. Right. So, you True. know, it really depends on your market. I just wanted to get your general, like, sort of rule of thumb that you're like, hey, listen, I don't really put in anything less than 10%, unless something is way overpriced or you know, they've had six offers, none of, them, none of them have closed and they're looking, they're desperate and they're looking to get this thing done. Yeah. So where you purchase, are you in all singles, you in multis, are you in office buildings? What's your portfolio look like? So mostly two and three families and some six families, but uh, generally the, the two families because the housing stock where, where I operate is mostly these duplexes, these one over one duplexes, occasionally side to side duplexes, but that's just what the housing stock is made of here. And they're better than single family, I think, because you just get more dollars per square foot when it comes to rent. Right. Yes, you've got two boilers and, you know, well, it's the same roof, but, you know, two boilers, two sets of uh, hot water tanks and things like that. So, like, yes, there's that. But when you're talking about um, the yield, actually, when you're renting it out per square foot, way higher on these two families than they are on the single families. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Now, what's your, what's your team structure look like? So my team is basically me. I am Alpha and Omega of my business. <laughs> I have a property manager and contractor. He's actually the same guy. He uh, does a great job for me. Uh, we work really well together. I've got lawyers. That's my brother. I've got uh, accountants also and um, insurance guys, you know, a few guys. And that's basically my team. And obviously my manager, like his business is fleshed out. He's got a bunch of guys who go and sure. fix the stuff. He could be in five places at once. Are you, um, are you, your income is solely dependent on your rental properties? Uh, rental properties. And occasionally if I flip something, you know, sometimes I get tired of holding something. Sometimes I just don't like something that I bought. Sure. If I can get off our profit, I'll do that as well. But I don't sell many houses anymore. Okay. And then the goal is a hundred, right? The goal is wow. uh, is a hundred units. And again, these are pretty high value units. Being in the northern New Jersey market, that would be uh, that'd be plenty. You know, I could always move the goalposts. I can go to two hundred. I can go. I can go to five hundred. It wouldn't be that hard. But um, you know, you kind of have to set a goal in your mind. You have to set a concrete goal in your mind for you to achieve, even if it's a small goal, because you can yeah. always make a bigger one later. And just achieve that goal. Keep your eye on that prize, and then you can um, do more after. So your contractor, property manager, same guy. Why'd you decide to do that? Because I had some contractors and they weren't reliable and they screwed me over a bit. And then I happened to find this guy. And at the time I didn't need a property manager and I just needed a contractor. So my friend found this guy that I deal with now, his name's Albert. And um, he, I had him renovate two of the houses that I had just bought. He did a good job. Uh, one of them I couldn't sell for the price that I wanted. Actually, both of them. I couldn't sell for the price that I wanted because this is like 2012. Like it was hard. Yeah. So, um, 
I'm like, all right, let's rent him out. He's like, oh, I'm a property manager. And he basically, you know, he grew with us as well. Him and my friend who has a similar portfolio to mine. And he's got some other clients and he's got his own stuff. So he was already a licensed property manager. I'm like, okay, be my property manager. And he's done a great job for us so far. How did you, uh, how do you vet? So I think, I think the rite of passage is you're going to have to have a contractor screw you over, bail on a job, mess some stuff up, mess timeframes up. I mean, I, I think we still deal with that. It's, it's, it sucks. It is what it is. Absolutely. So how do you vet your contractor, your property manager to make sure that, well, to get closer to ensuring that these guys are the right people for the job? I mean, listen, even though I've been with my property manager for, you know, eight or nine years or whatever it's been, and my contractor, same, most of the same guys, he still occasionally has trouble. He'll hire a sub and he'll do a bad job or he won't show up to the job. It happens. How can you do it? Um, you need to get references. You need to get reviews. That's the best you can do, really. Make sure that they're licensed. Make sure that they're bonded and all that stuff. Right. Other than that, I mean, you, if you could find another investor who used a guy before and had a good experience, that's all you can do. I mean, can sure. he flake out afterwards? There's really not a whole lot you can do if he does. No. Well, yeah. That's totally true. So let's talk about some of the other pitfalls that people can hit when investing in real estate. Yeah. So um, I think the most common one is when people underestimate rehab costs. And that's very easy to do, especially if you're talking about an older house. And we buy mostly these older houses. And uh, if the walls aren't open and um, environmental issues up here, we've got oil tanks pretty much everywhere. Those are a big liability. But you know, the main thing would be the cost that you're going to have to put in. If you underestimate that, or overestimate the sale price, that's how people wind up getting hurt. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about one of the biggest mistakes, biggest failures you've had, and then how it showed up as a, as a, as a blessing or a success today, and you use it as, like, as, a, as a, a benchmark. So, I can, okay, so there's one that does have a silver lining. Maybe I'll just tell you that one. Yeah. I used to buy, in addition to my stuff in New Jersey, I used to buy tax deed properties in Georgia. So I'd go to the tax deed auctions and I'd buy them and they pay you a 20% premium. I'm sure you could do a whole podcast on that business. Yeah. But you've got to really check the parcel numbers versus like what you're actually buying. So I was at the auction and the bid price was actually really high. It was like 30 grand, but I'm like, oh, this is a hundred thousand dollar house. I'm going to bid on it. So I bid on it. I'm the only bidder at the minimum price. I'm like, that's a bad sign. Thumbs up. Yeah. yeah. Something's wrong. So guy, you know, rings the gavel and the guy next to me says, you know, you just bought a parking lot, right? I'm like, I bought a what? And it turns out that what we bought was the common area driveway to the HOA of this condo development. And I thought I was buying the house directly next door. Right, right. But that's what I saw when I drove by. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a toll so that people, when they go into their houses in the condo, <laughs> and that's how I'll make my $30,000 back or whatever the price was. And I had all these crazy ideas. And you can't like not pay them because then they'll just never let you back. Right. And I was making more, like, I'm, I might as well just eat this. I'm not going to not come to any more auctions. So, uh, but it turns out in the end that somebody was foreclosing on the condo development and they needed to buy our tax deed in order to finish the foreclosure. So uh, they paid us off with interest and it actually wound up being, you know, a great deal. That's awesome. I give think me one. Web, yeah, go ahead. Give me one that really sucked. Okay. So I bought off one of the auction websites, uh, a three family in Jersey it was occupied and it was in so much worse condition than we could have possibly expected. Uh, on top of that, we had um, an oil tank issue, which at the time I didn't account for. And if an oil tank's not leaking, $2,500 to take it out with permits and whatever, not a huge deal, but it was leaking and it was a $30,000 or $50,000 or whatever it was. What? Yeah. Uh, the environmental remediation was, was, they had to come take out all the soil, 
put in new soil, take another test, didn't work, take out more soil, put new soil in, and it took like a month and it was about 30, you know. So at that point, I'm already underwater. And then we had some vandalism uh, at the property after we had just finished putting in the plumbing and electric. Cops didn't care, insurance company, you know, whatever. So at that point, that house was just, I realized like, it's going to be a loser. So right. I sold it and, you know, I lost a little money. I checked on it about a year ago. And I don't think the investor that bought it from me finished the project either. The house well, is no. Yeah, I drove by. He still got the, because we put up the metal gate, the metal screens. I'm sure you've seen them around. Yeah, yeah. So um, I put up the metal screens on the vacant properties. They're still up. So there's no way anybody's in there. You can't get a CO with those on. Oh, wow. So wow. that house is just a black hole of capital for everybody who buys it. <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, look, man, we, we have all those. And the, the, the cool thing is, you know, my wife keeps telling me you should write a book because you've got to share the knowledge. So like you're, you, you, you bring up a, a good point with your book is like, you learned it, you've gone through it, you felt the sting of it, you might as well try and educate somebody else. But at the end of the day, education is only so much. You're gonna, you just you got to get into action, you got to make some of those mistakes because no book can ever tell you everything that you're about to encounter. You know what I mean? Like, you just, you just can't. I Absolutely. mean, when you go to, uh, you know, have you, ever, have you ever had to do a property line adjustment or a variance or anything like that with one of your properties? No, just drawings for internal stuff. I've never, I don't really do much um, outside work. I don't do any extensions really. Okay. I had to do one. And the, the, the guy that I hired said, not a problem. We don't have to put signs up in the yard. It's all good. It'll fly through. Well, one of the neighbors got wind of it, hired an attorney, went to the courthouse and petitioned against us. And it took us like 60 days. And cost us a bunch of unneeded money. Yeah. And really what I learned from it was that I should have just gone to the neighbors right up front. I was nervous too, because I didn't want them to, to hinder this. They I don't should... send letters to the neighbors because by us they do. No, on this one, because it didn't have to be open. Like it didn't, like usually they'll, they'll, they'll post. Um, it, it, they didn't have to. No letters, no open signage on the yard, no nothing. It was just an easy tweak in the, in like just in the courthouse. Uh, with zoning and planning. And so what I learned from it was don't run from a potential problem. Just face it head on yeah. and face it before you buy it. So go to the neighbors. Like I did that on a couple of properties I bought last summer, I, I, rougher neighborhood, not, not my usual buy territory. And I went to them first after learning that lesson and I said, Hey, this is what we're looking to do. Would you have a problem with if we were doing construction for a couple months and we we're going to, you know, this is going to be the best house on your block. Would you have any issue? And I went to like five neighbors and they said, no, not at all. We, we love that. And I said, cool. Okay. Well, that's it. So I always tell people, make sure you, you use the allies that are there. The neighbors are going to be an ally or an axis. It's your call. I'll tell you a good one about that. Um, <laughs> first property that I bought uh, got, uh, so we were closing on a, on a Friday and I went to do the walkthrough on Thursday. We couldn't get in. There were no keys, but the, it was a short sale. The house was in perfect condition. I look in the windows, no problems. So um, we closed by mail Friday, and then um, I come Monday to check on my house to get inside. There were no, remember, the keys were not in the lockbox for whatever reason. So it turns out that I need keys because somebody kicked in the door, wrecked the entire house, did a ton of damage to the house, broke in over the weekend, and just oh, spent no. the whole weekend taking these 100-pound cast iron uh, for, you know, radiators and throwing them down the steps, destroying the steps, destroying the kitchen, destroying the bathrooms, taking out all the copper, flooding the basement. Yeah. Problem. So after that happened, then I go to the neighbors. I'm like, did you, um, did you see anything? No, I didn't see anything because nobody ever sees anything. Of course. So I said, 
listen, here's, I think I gave him $20, $20, watch the house. Next time you see me here, another $20. Every time you see me, $20, keep an eye on the house. And that's what I did. So yeah, the neighbors are definitely an asset. You don't want to make enemies out of any of the neighbors, especially when you're an investor and people, I don't know if they're jealous of you, but they, they don't, um, they're jealous of you. Plain plain and simple, I think. Whatever it is. I I had a squatter once. Really cool guy. He was like, hey, man, you can get in anytime. I'm just going to be staying here until you buy it. I said, that's cool. When I buy it, you're not going to be here, right? And he said, well, I really don't have anywhere else to go. And I said, what do you need? He said, just need a little bit of money. I said, well, I'll tell you what, man. Empty this house of all the trash and cut the lawn every week. And I'll give you some cash. I'll give you a little bit up front in good faith. And I said, look, you're, you know, you're living in this house. So like you give it to you in good faith. And then every time you cut the lawn, every two weeks, I'm going to pay you and I'll, and I'll, I'll get you out, get you somewhere, you know? And, it, and it, it was actually, that was the only squatter situation I ever dealt with. And I was nervous as hell when I found this guy in the basement. I'm like, oh my gosh, I called the bank and I'm like, you know this? And they said, yeah, well, it's your problem. I said, well, listen, I'm just under contract and I'm in a study period. So it could not be my problem back to you, yeah. but I'm okay with this. And they said, well, I'll talk to the guy and see what happens. And I think that was the first time that I ever encountered that where I was like, you know what? It's a human being to a human being. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. That, was super, that was super cool. You cut the grass every week. You know, yeah, you can definitely work things out. There's no reason to be inhumane and, and literally shove the guy out and change the locks, which I think no. a lot of shady landlords would do. You know, you're dealing with people's lives and their apartments. And if they've got problems, you don't have to be one of those, um, you know, problems with your rentals. Let's say you don't have to bugs or whatever. You don't have to be one of these shady. You can still make a really good living without, you know, making your tenants miserable. So, you know, I pride myself on running my properties really ethically, uh, taking care of problems when they arise, being fair with the tenants. And, um, you know, you can't let people walk over you, obviously. But, you know, that's one thing we try to do in our business is, is go about this ethically and go about it correctly. Now, do you set a limit for your property manager to actually say like, hey, man, if it's above X dollars, call me first? Uh, again, we've been working together. We have some really good synergies. So there's no like real dollar amount. If it's an emergency, it's an emergency. But uh, how much is an emergency already that, you know, uh, plumbing back up? I don't want to hear about it tomorrow. I want it taken care of tonight so it doesn't flood. And if it's $300, then, then do it. And it, like, if, if a roof is leaking, okay, we have to talk about how we want to handle that. You know, so I wouldn't say there's a hard and fast dollar amount, but if it's not an emergency, we'll talk about it. Yeah, I love that. All right, man. So listen, what else do you want to leave the audience with? I want people to um, understand that this is a complicated business. It's a business where you're going to make a lot of mistakes and I don't, but I still don't want people to be afraid of jumping in. I want people to go and make a better life for themselves through real estate, but I do want them to understand uh, the, some of the pitfalls that are in this business, which is why I wrote the book. But I really want to see people, um, you know, continuing to expand, grow their portfolio and get financial freedom through real estate. I love that. And so the book is how not to make money in real estate. Where can people get it? Amazon. Amazon. Got it. So can you get us a link to hybendigital.com and, uh, and have it up there for our audience? thought I might've sent it in the initial thing, but yeah, I'll do it. Hybendigital.com. Yep. Yeah. You probably did, man. We'll just, we'll make sure it's up there for everybody. And, um, Alan Schlaf- Schlafrock. Schlafrock. Thank you. been a pleasure, man. Absolute pleasure. Really enjoy learning stuff from you. I know the audience will find a lot of value in it. So dude, next time I'm up in New Jersey, I want to take a look at some of your properties, man. Very interesting. Definitely. You guys I'll are doing a cup of coffee or something. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So Rockstar Nation, that's Alan. If you want him, where can we find you on, on social media? Uh, I'm on bigger pockets. I'm pretty active under my personal name. I also have a Facebook page, OG Property Investments. Okay. 
post it often because I'm not one of those guys who spams your feed all day with inspirational quotes. I'm just not, right. I'm just not that guy. <laughs> but uh, you can find me there. And uh, again, I'm very active on Bigger Pockets. So you can definitely find me there. Love that. Spell your name S Z L A F R A K. Okay. F R O K. S Z L A F R O K. You got it. Love it. Awesome. Alan, Rockstar Nation, thanks you, man. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here. All right. Talk to you soon, man. You too. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger. Yes, the one finger that points at people and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on a million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys. And I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.